The World According to Gorf. Shalom. 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 Hi, everybody, and Happy New Year, and have an easy fast. This is Gorf, Jordan B. Gorfinkel, your host of The World According to Gorf on The Stunt Show, on the Nachum Siegel Network, on a very unique New Year's Day, January 1st, 2015. Every week, I chat with an interesting Jewish person or people whom I meet on my travels as an entertainment producer and performer with JewishCartoon.com and PalaProductions.com. As I said, today is January 1st, 2015, on the secular calendar. On the Jewish calendar, the date is Asarab Tevet, a date that is commemorated with fasting. No eating from sunrise to sunset, memorializing the siege of ancient Jerusalem by the King Nebuchadnezzar that began today and culminated tragically a year and a half later on Shiva Asar Batamuz, the 17th of the month of Tammuz, with the destruction of King Solomon's holy temple. Or, as many of us think of these so-called minor fasts, the shortest fast of the year and one of the longest fasts of the year. Or, as many of us are thinking this year, because of the rare confluence of New Year's and abstaining from coffee, the worst hangover day ever. That gets me to thinking. Last year we had a Thanksgiving Hanukkah mashup, Thanksgiving What does that make today? Asrab and New Year's? New Year's Batevet? Sorry, humor's tough on an empty tummy. About today's show. Every year at this time, Limud Conference is concluding. It takes place in the UK around Christmas time every year. They do that on purpose so that they can have Jewish learning during the Christmas period. And over 5,000 people from around the world are taking their shared Jewish wisdom and chizuk inspiration back to their local chapters in Europe, Israel, and the U.S. and everywhere. I encapsulated my remarkable Limud experience on one of my episodes last year, and I encourage you to listen to it on the Nachum Siegel Network archives or the iTunes Stunt Show page. You may also find a direct link to the show on a World According to Gorf Facebook post. That's, of course, facebook.com slash the world according to Gorf. When I thought about what I wanted to share with you, dear listeners, on today's show, which falls on a frothy, secular day of fresh starts, overlaid with a melancholy Jewish day of stomach-growling contemplation. The following session from Limud Conference UK, combining pop culture and Torah, seemed perfectly appropriate. Or, as a certain doctor would say, fantastic. One heads up. The panelists were not amplified when I recorded them in the auditorium. I've done my best to raise their volumes and balance the levels. Nevertheless, you may still need to crank up your own volume button to hear clearly and occasionally hit the rewind. I assure you, it's well worth the effort. I now present the Limud session entitled, Is Doctor Who Jewish? Good evening, and welcome to the 
Jainism. How Jewish is Dr. Lee? We are incredibly, incredibly lucky to have assembled this panel of leading experts in this field. <laughs> the most pressing questions that lead from the question, how Jewish is Dr. Who? Each of them have a controversial yet unique take on this particular question. Ben. I'm doing a fair couple of clips of Frodo. I just want to give a shout out and thank you to uh, a very special person who uh, really, I think, brought, yeah, brought us here on Solid Field here. Raph has wanted to promise me not to tell uh, it, but now the session's here, I figure we're okay. Uh, some of you may have seen in the Times last weekend a lovely little piece about the moon. And in the second paragraph, imagine this. The chief rabbi talking about the Jewish Guide for Conflict Resolution and another speaker asker asking, how Jewish is Doctor Who? I'm a doctor, by the way. What's your name? Bruce. Nice to meet you, Bruce. Wrong for your life. So, Ben, tell us how this particular clip summarises your take on how Jewish Doctor Who is. Well, this is a lovely little clip from the first episode of the revised New Who, which started in 2005. This is our, the first Doctor of the New Era, his first companion. And their introduction, the Doctor pops into young Rose Tyler's life for three minutes, runs down an institutional corridor with her, and in all the great traditions of Acres Who, runs and leaves her on her own, introduces himself only as the Doctor. There's an explosion, and he's out of her life. And had not been for a series of circumstances that happened late in the episode, he would never have seen her again. And this is very interesting. This is a very interesting take that Newham has in a number of places on the Doctor here and uh, at various other points. We see people whose lives the Doctor intersects with. Can everyone hear me? If you stick your hand up in the back row, if you can hear. Thank you very much. <laughs> sure. We see people who the Doctor meets for only a minute or two and nevertheless has this remarkable impact and effect in their lives. And that brought to mind an, an incident or two from, from our own much of people who run into a mysterious stranger who never identifies himself, who never gives his name, and who wanders off in just after just a few brief verses and never sees them again. I just want to talk about two of those very, very briefly. The first is from a very famous story which... I hope, I assume many of you know that as Jacob is coming back from uh, to Israel with his family, he stops overnight. He splits his tents in two. He, he's worried about meeting his brother. He goes. He realizes he's got something. He wanders back over a little river to go get it, and he runs into a mysterious stranger. And this mysterious stranger wrestles with him all night. They, uh, and in the morning. He, injured, he leaves him slightly injured and he runs off and he says, no man may know my name. And I just want to draw out a, uh, draw out a little bit from here. That the, uh, the commentators, even the, uh, the mysterious stranger says, you can't know my name, but I will bless you and I will call your name Israel for you fought with God. Uh, which is what Israel means, and, and you have and you have your jaw. Uh, the commentators in this point is all shy away from saying literally, "This is God made in, in, in physical form, come to earth to uh, and, and you know to actually uh, interact with a person." They shy away from saying, "Oh, it's an angel. It's the angel of, I, uh, of Israel. It's the angel of Esau. You know, this is this is emblematic of a greater." Uh, 
of a greater struggle, a spiritual struggle, a future madrasic struggle, and so forth. But the text itself, without these later layers of madrasic and rabbinic fiction, seems to point to something. It's like, sorry, my wife is right in the middle, looking very skeptical at me. And so I, I, I'm just going to focus I'm just, I'm just elsewhere at this point. <laughs> which is not in accordance with the later accounts we see in Shemot, in, in, in Baikra, in Nath, and so forth. We see, uh, we see an interaction with the divine being. No revelation is given, is given over. No, uh, no insight, no commandment, no instruction, but a brush between a human and something that's more than human, something that's, uh, that's greater than what we are. And we're left un- we're escaped, we're left injured, we're left unbound. Uh, and the tricks to God, if you will, the, the motif that we see throughout you know, folk literature and, uh, and various literary traditions of this mysterious semi-divine form who comes in and meddles with, meddles with humans. And in Doctor Who, we're privileged to see it from the other side. And we get to see, we get to see the near-omnipotent, near-immortal being coming and interacting with us. These strange people, these humans who doesn't really understand great knowledge and wisdom, but whom he has some strange affection for, but nevertheless can't resist a little bit of entertainment. That's right. Thank you. Thank you. Raphael. Raphael. Okay. So, Raphael, what's your interpretation of Jewish doctrines? Right. About five to ten million people watch Doctor Who every week when it's on, not counting Americans. <laughs> and there's a lot of them. In fact, when I go to America, I'm often asked if I'll bring over who memorabilia to bring it over. One person wanted a duvet cover. And I said, single or double? And she said, they only come in single. <laughs> So, if 10 million people watch something, if something's lasted 50 years and there's books and lots about it, there must be something to it. And I'm not a believer of, this is fun, I want to have some fun, but I also believe that underneath all good narratives and stories are deep legends or myths or dramatic ways of telling about life and meaning. And they overlap and they touch and they have meaning and therefore it relates to our Judaism. So some of the stuff I'll do will be for a laugh and some will be serious. And you'll have to work out which is which. <laughs> so, my take is similar to Ben's. I think Doctor Who is not science fiction, right? It's not a sonic screwdriver, it's a wand or a scarf. And it's fantasy, and fantasy I think is based on myth and biblical stuff. And I think the way Doctor Who is presented, definitely in the new Who, as you call it, um, is God, it's Hashem. Hashem saves us. Hashem heals and saves the world. When you come out of the toilet, there's a bracha that you say, the most basic bracha that you say when you come out of the toilet. I love it because it's nothing highfalutin like the Kedusha and spirituality. It's, I want my body to work, I want my plumbing to work. And that bracha ends, Bracha to Hashem, Rofer kol basar, Maflir la'asot. Blessed are you, O God, Rofer kol basar, Doctor of all flesh, 
or my Fliara Sot, who does wonders. <laughs> and the Gomorrah discusses why that is, by the way. It says, what do you mean? It's every day your body's looked after. Oh no, but it's wondrous. So you've got to push together those two parts. And that's the doctor aspect. In the Amida, the silent prayer, one of the prayers is the Fa'elu, God heal us. God as a doctor is fundamental to our tradition. So that's the angle that, um, that I see on it. I also see that we see our God as being beyond time. Right? What do we see at the end of governing? On Shabbat. Adon Olam. Adon is a Lord, and Olam is not just space. Olam means space and time. I know you're... But that's what it means. So, they might call him a time lord, we call him a space time lord. Because it's all the dimensions. So that's how we see it. We think cosmically. Now, the scene I want to show is, and this is why I love the new series of Who, is the way the Doctor relates to us is as humans. He's a god. And he looks at us differently. Oh, by the way, one other thing as well. When you say the Shema, we say, You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. We don't say with all your heart, we say with two heads. <laughs> say, why two bets with your good side and your bad side? I would suggest that the two hearts of the doctor reflect the two sides of himself as well. Right? You often see that. He turns in his heart because he has two hearts. So that's interesting as well. But that's just light. The serious stuff, I think, is an episode called The Satan Pit with David Tennant, number... Number 10. <laughs> first, uh, doctor. Because in that scene they meet the devil. Right? Very interesting. And the devil has a conversation with the doctor. At this point, they're being cornered and surrounded, and the devil has a conversation with him. And I'm interested in the way the doctor talks, and the way he talks to the other scared humans. So that's the scene that we're going to see now. It's from series two of Hooven One. Well, I don't know the numbers. Um, series four to three, right. Um, but thanks to Ben, he sent me all the scripts are online. <laughs> So I got the script. So can you show that here? Here we go. So listen to the way the devil talks, and the doctor responds. You will cease to be in the light. You will identify yourself. You know my name. What do you want? You will die here. All of you. This planet is your grave. Sarah. You are the beast that I'm finished. Which one? Because hmm? you must be busy since you were There's more religion than there are planets in the sky. Yeah, I bet. Authority, Christianity, Plash Plash, New Judaism, Sankar. Judge the team by the only All of them. What then? You're the truth behind the myth. This one knows me, as I know him, the killer of his own kind. How did you end up on this rock? The disciples of our might rose up against me and chained me in a pit for all eternity. When was it? Before time. 
What does that mean? Before time. What does before time mean? Before time and light and space and matter. Before the cataclysm. Before this universe was created. That's impossible. None of that could exist back then. Is that your looking? It's a belief. You know nothing. All of you. So small. The captain was so scared of command. The soldier haunted by the eyes of his wife. The scientist still running from daddy. The little boy who lied. The virgin. And the lost girl. So far away from home. The valiant child who will die in battle very soon. Doctor, what does that mean? Rose Lewis. What does it mean? You will die. You're listening to The World According to Gorf on the Nahum Siegel Network. If you go to the Israel Museum and you go to the Shrine of the Book, that central area, and you look at the ancient texts there, which are from Qumran, it's a fight. It's called the War Scroll of the Children of the Light versus the Children of the Dark. This idea of fighting dark and light goes way back in our tradition in ancient scrolls. So I want to show you that this, first of all, it's great writing, but what he's trying to do is, um, is give that perspective. One final aspect of it, fascinatingly, he calls the doctor the killer of his kind. 
And I just want to spend two minutes on this, which is the kind of downfall of the latest Doctor Who. It's very sad, because the whole latest Doctor Who works because he, as you all know, because you're here, um, um, had to wipe out Gallifrey and all his race in order to wipe out the Daleks at the same time and to save the universe. Right? He is the last of his kind. The word for last, or leftovers, is Sheirid. We... Oh, wait, okay. So that's the first thing. Now, the, is that related to Jews? Well, I want you to know. Biblical Judaism nearly died. Biblical Judaism nearly died. And when the temple was being destroyed, and the Roman Vespasian said to Rabbi Yochanan, the greatest rabbi of the time, are you going to save the temple? Are you going to save Biblical Judaism? He said, no. Give me Yadmer and its followers. We'll have to go to the Red Midrash. He sacrificed Jerusalem. He gave up on Biblical Judaism. He let it be destroyed. And the rabbis were the leftovers of a new Judaism, which began, rabbinic Judaism. That's how we see it. Now, the mistake of the latest Doctor Who is they fix it. Maybe they haven't fixed it completely. They try to fix it. The whole point is, you can't fix those things. They're destroyed. The mistake, even though I really enjoyed the latest Doctor episode, is modern society can't stand the fact that he wiped out his people. And it, couldn't, it, couldn't, it wasn't comfortable with it, so they had to fix it and change it. That's a real shame. Some things you can't fix. When God spoke to David Hamelech, who made a mistake of counting the people, he said to David, you can't go back, but you can choose the punishment. It could be famine, or what's it going to be? And David says, I trust you, God, what it should be. He said to uh, the, the prophet, God, whatever it is. Many of you know what Tachanun is. Every day, for a moment in prayer, whether you do it, your synagogue does, you put your arm on the side and weep for the sadness of David's mistake. And we repeat that verse that David said to his assistant. Sometimes you can't fix mistakes. That's what Tachanun is all about. And then we say, Shomer Yisrael. God protect Israel. Shomer Sherit Yisrael. Protect the remnants of Israel. We understand that many people have died. And Judas nearly died many, many times. We have survived. I relate to Doctor in such a fundamental way in that. And the new series built on that. His whole emotion is built on that he had to live with this. We Jews live with this. But the writer, Moffat, couldn't take it. Because modernism has to solve everything. Make everything nice and happy. Probably, again, the Americans. <laughs> and that's a real shame because Judaism is a standing point but you know what it's not all going to be great in the end there's always going to be these problems but we'll keep going anyway share with Yisrael so I hope in this new series that even though he's frozen it in some 3D picture it doesn't get saved because that's dishonest and it's not how the reality is and I like Doctor Who this later series because it's very real enough for now so two interesting takes on how Jewish Doctor Who is. David, your interpretation. Well, I have some, I have, like, I have some clips. Um, um, I'll let you watch them first, and you'll see there's a similarity between them. Um, but reflecting um, my relative geek stature, they go back a little bit further. All my throughout the universe, I have battled against evil, against power, mad conspiracies. I should stay here. The oldest civilization, <coughs> decadent, degenerate, and rotten to the form, how that conspirators Daleks or Tarans, Cybermen. They're still in the nursery compared to us. Ten million years of absolute power. That's what it takes to be, really. You have heard the charge against you, that you have repeatedly broken our most. 
What have you to say? Do you admit these actions? I not only admit them, I am proud of them. True, I am guilty of interference. Just as you are guilty of failing to use your great power to help those in need. Is that all you have to say? But it is enough. So, all of those clips have one thing in common. In each of them, the doctor is telling his own people, the Time Lords, precisely what he thinks of them. And this is something that, as we can see, goes back very, very early on in the series. So the earliest clip was Patrick Troughton at the end of the War Games. That was the story where he regenerates into John Pertwee. It's the first time in the series that the Time Lords are identified. We find out who it is that the Doctor has been running from. And as we saw, what happens at the end of the series is that the Doctor is put on trial for interfering. And his defence says, I did the right thing, and it's you who are wrong. So that's, that's uh, the war games. We then have, from Colin Baker, a scene from Trial of a Time Lord, which was the whole of a series, it had some sub-stories. Sub and again, the Doctor was being put on trial by the Time Lords. And his defence is, what hypocrisy. This is what it takes. Ten million years of absolute power, that's what it takes to be really corrupt. And the third scene is from the last David Tennant episode. And it has the Doctor standing up to Rassilon. Because the Master who we know the Doctor has a somewhat ambiguous relationship with, says, but Gallifrey's coming back, isn't that a good thing? And the Doctor just looks at him, and we know from his look that that's not a good thing, that the Doctor has had to fight his own people. He is the one who has ended the Time War by dealing with the evil that they have created. So, what's the point? Well, I agree with what Rafi was saying about stories. I think stories are really important. And there's a very notable feature about Jewish traditional stories compared to other traditions from ages past. And it's morality. If you look at ancient Babylonian myths or ancient Greek myths or ancient Roman myths, what you notice is that the divine there is not moral. There's no sense of right and wrong. There's good and there's bad. There's things happen to people, but people get away with stuff. The, the divine, the, the heroes are above or beyond morality. That's not true of our stories, of our traditions. We have a very strong tradition of people speaking up to authority, and they're called prophets. So, the typical model of a prophet is an outsider who appears when there's some sort of trouble, who speaks truth, even if it's unpopular, who sometimes works miracles to make things happen. We can think of Moses, who fits this model. Moses speaks to authority, to Pharaoh. He's an outsider. He works miracles. He saves the Jewish people. But there's a morality to it. Not only... Does he do what is right and say what is right? But he's bound by what is right. Moses makes mistakes. He makes more than one mistake. And he suffers the consequences. Um, he is not a perfect figure. He is 
a fallible figure. But he is something special. So I think, in Jewish terms, the doctor is a prophet. Because all these clips were the doctor speaking to his people, telling truth to authority, challenging the status quo. And when one thinks about the great Jewish prophets, like Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that's exactly what they're doing. They're saying, in the name of God, you are wrong. You are not acting properly, and there will be consequences. So, that's why I think the Doctor is a very Jewish figure. It represents Jewish stories. Um, and that's my take on Doctor. Thank you. I've anticipated that there would be a great number of questions from the floor. I do have a few prepared just in case you don't have any, but uh, if you'd like to raise your hand so that I can get an idea of questions, please. So, two questions. Number one is, I think, Rafi, off of what you just said, and by the way, I'm one of the Americans, but I disagree with the direction, just for the record. Right. Right. But I'm working towards it. So I think that they made another mistake in the most recent series because when the doctor took on another honorific, he became the war doctor. If he had been Jewish, he would have been rabbi doctor. That's number one. And number two is the panel did not introduce themselves and what their backgrounds are. I I wasn't sure whether they were comfortable displaying their fields of expertise regarding Doctor Who, but um, if you feel comfortable in doing so, please do. I've got a sofa. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a smaller sofa, but a bigger DVD collection. (laughs) I have a large box of remaining second-hand Doctor Who numbers. Including their ornaments, which is very good in the by. Um, I question the Jewishness of Dr. Who because he hasn't got a very Jewish surname. Who's a doctor? So, just one thing Yom Kippur, the very end, we're all starving hungry. And we say goodbye, we're like angels, we're not in heaven. As we say goodbye to Hashem, right? We end with the line Shema Yisrael. But before that, as we leave the seven heavens, we say seven times, Hashem, who? I love him. <laughs> Hashem, who? I love him. As much more Jewish as you want. I'll just add to that, if I can, for a sec, that the idea that the doctor leaves his, leave, you know, goes out of the old country, leaves his family goes somewhere else and changes his surname is also you know, a pretty Jewish <laughs> Comments, questions, or you just want to fetch? Go to facebook.com slash the world according to Gorf. Yes. How do you know that this Jewish? How do you know that this Jewish? You're absolutely right. And there's two key things to one. Listen, look at what's her name? Theo. Theo. Which means, you know, Theo's God. You know that? Yes. Good. So, <laughs> so, always understand there's two aspects of Jewish. How you're born, Theo, and what you do. You're born Jewish, but do you act Jewish? Doctor Who might not be born Jewish, but the way he acts, and that's what we're talking about tonight, is like a Jew. And that's what we're talking about. Spot on. Thank you. Yes. Um, I don't think any Jewish actors, Jewish people, are involved in any of Doctor Who. 
Uh, you're so glad you asked me. <laughs> the, question, the question was, are there any um, actors or producers or people involved in Doctor Who who are Jewish? And the answer is a few. But I think the most interesting, for anyone who saw the recent program, Adventure in Time and Space, um, about how Doctor Who was created, the first producer of Doctor Who, Verity Lambert, um, was of Jewish background. I don't think she was particularly religious. What I found most interesting about, about that, uh, from the purpose of, of this session, is how much of Doctor Who was generated by outsiders. So the, the producer, the executive producer who came up with it, Sidney Newman was a Canadian, an outsider to the BBC. And the, the two key figures, and the drama I thought brought this out very nicely, were Verity Lambert, who was effectively the first Jewish woman producer at the BBC. You can imagine how well that went down in um, with, with an Asian director. And you imagine how that went down in 1960. Um, and so I, I think there is an element in which um, Jews are often perceived or feel ourselves to be outsiders in society. I think that's reflected. There are others over the years. Um, one of the most um, notable is the writer Ben Aronovich, um, who wrote some Doctor Who stories in the, the late 80s in particular, uh, a particularly good story for us old people, um, Remembrance of the Daleks, um, which was, which again, redefined the Doctor. So there are some. Yeah, good question. Thank you. As somebody whose father worked on the first series of the union, but Doctor Who with the electricals. That's <laughs> yes. You said what you had. Yeah. Um, I'm just wondering if Doctor Who's story is, in effect, the story of the human condition. And it's not the Jewish story. <coughs> The story of the human condition, much like Shakespeare. Faulkner said that the only story worth telling was the conflict, and there was the human heart of conflict in himself. So, uh, but I think we're getting rather too deep for. Uh, but I, mean, I think, I think the more general point, I think it feeds back to what they were saying as well. But if you look at Doctor as, as, as a story created by, by his outsiders, about an outsider in exile, someone who travels, someone who's forced to, uh, who's forced to confront evil and, uh, and, and rejection and, and impermanence and everything he does. But I think there's a certain way where you can, you can definitely tie together those more general, those specifically Jewish or those specifically doctoral conditions with something that's more general and difficult to assume. I, 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 I agree. I think, I think any great drama or TV series that lasts is about the human condition. We're arguing that Doctor Who is a Jewish response to the human condition, like Torah. And what it's about, and I think you did it very eloquently, is that we always argue, we stand against it, and say it's not good enough, and it has to be made better. I, I don't want to go, if you go to the middle of the Palestinian flames, the whole way the rabbis looked at God, understanding what God was, whatever it is, we have to be involved in making it better. The Hasidic story of the pupil who goes to the Rebbe and says, Rebbe, the what God is perfect, and he made a world that isn't. How can that be? And then he said, do you think you could do better? He goes, and he's shocked. He goes, well, maybe. He goes, so go and do it. Make the world better. That's the Hasidic response. Don't give me theology. Make it better. And that's Dr. Who. Yeah. Uh, from, uh, William Harden, all the way to Matt Smith. Uh, which 
Well, in terms of hair. That's my answer. <laughs> the question was, out of all the doctors, which one would the panellists each consider the most Jewish? John Perfrey's nose. <laughs> Tom Baker's hair. Death in Eccleston's Nibina. Thank you. But not his dress sense. Not his dress sense. His, his, his demeanor, his, the way he, he, he talks to his companions, the way he conducts himself and bears himself. And he's a northerner. <laughs> I'm not saying anything. <laughs> Jewish writer to solve that one. Neil Gaiman's episode, The Doctor's Wife. 
more accurately, should be the doctor's mother. <laughs> you didn't choose me. I chose you. Gaiman makes the doctor. Gaiman is Jewish, by the way. And uh, his parents were Scientologists, but thought, living in Portsmouth, he should have a mitzvah. So they said, Neil Gaiman himself said this, I heard him say, went to, was sent to Reb Lev um, in Belmont, the cousin there, who I met recently, and Reb Lev taught him many, many midrashim, right? And Gaiman knows his midrash. I think he brilliantly, in that episode, made the TARDIS become a lie. And it's a woman, a lover, right? Sexy, a lover, but also someone who knows better than him and answers him back. And that's the nearest I think we get to that, that side of it. And how many Jewish men do you know that don't have mother issues? <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. Um, yep, please. Um, when you think about time travel, uh, what implications does that have for keeping Shabbat? When is that? <laughs> 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 um, no one goes into so that. Halakhically speaking, there's a, is, Nata, is Yaakov giving this class? Yaakov finds an expert on this, Halakha in space. Right? Would you go from where you took off? But uh, the best answer I heard was actually Diane Fisher years ago. Because we don't go to space. To quote gravity, nothing, life in space is impossible. We take a bit of earth with us. They breathe earth, air. And therefore, you base, you base on the, the last place that you went. But it gets, it gets more complicated. And that way, if you haven't got anything better to do, I'm not responsible. <laughs> <laughs> we do. Thank you. Look, please. Okay. Yeah. Uh, would you argue that the doctor's connection to Nanfrey is a parallel to who's connection to this problem? That's a very, very good question. I'm going to take a moment. Yeah, the doctor, I would say, and I don't know if I make any myself and friends here, the doctor's connection isn't the doctor's connection to Gadfrey isn't the doctor's connection to Israel. It's our connection, it's, it's the an Anglo-Jew's connection to Europe. The Gadfrey is where we came from. Gadfrey is somewhere often that we it's somewhere where we were where we pushed away from, often traumatically. Sometimes because we wanted to travel, sometimes because we wanted to go somewhere better, sometimes because we had no choice. It's someone which has very mixed emotions and a very long history, and it's not that something that we ever really that that we never ever really want to uh, go back to. And that's that's what I find most affecting about the doctor. He has his home, he has his happy memories, but he knows that he's never actually going to be able to go there again. I think we've got time for one or two last questions. Uh, in that episode of the Doctor's Wife, when uh, the Doctor found out that the TARDIS was really a woman, or, or became a woman, uh, and then and then also, also saying that, and then you also said that, uh, also, that the TARDIS was also his mother. But I wouldn't really say that it doesn't make sense because it's Doctor Who. In, in mythology, things are neat. It's not a science. Things overlap and play with each other. You see different aspects coming through, right? People relate to each other in all different kinds of ways, transactional analysis, right? If we're healthy, we learn to not treat our partner like our mother, or our child like our partner, or anything else. But that's the challenge, right? I think we have to be a bit careful, because even Jewish sons of Jewish mothers would hesitate to call their mother sexy. <laughs> <laughs> Brilliant. Any last questions? Oh, last question then, please. 
Yeah, but, but, but my son, the doctor, is <laughs> surely the most important mother ever gives. So the war doctor point you made could be, you know, they made that war doctor who goes to the dark side. That could be possibly. Yeah. Why, what do you think? Uh, <laughs> What's your name? Saul. Saul. Yeah. Great king. What do you think, Saul? He's Jewish. Why? Uh, it could be Spardi. I mean, that Fez. <laughs> <laughs> The least Jewish doctor is Peter Davidson because when he got any item of food on his lapel, he chose a stick of celery. <laughs> <laughs> no chicken soup, no roast beef. So, what, what you would do that? As part of your extensive research on the subject, what links have you found between the recent stories regarding the weeping angels and any stories or midrashim about angels that uh, you have drawn on? I, I did extensive research on the weeping angels. I didn't quite get as far as the midrash. <laughs> Um, the Romba, Maimonides, in Guide to Perplex, talks about how we have these mad ideas about angels. That people think that angels are these, are these massive things full of fire. Right? And then they also go into a woman's uh, uh, a womb and help the baby come out. And says, obviously, none of this makes sense if you take them literally. Right? And therefore, angels are expressions of ideas. And that's why when you don't look at them, when you shut your eyes, they, they, they disappear. That kind of stuff. So in that understanding of angels, it's related in that sense. Uh, so if the doctor is uh, Jewish, would you say the master also aspects and aspects of Judaism the more negative side? Good talk, by the way. Thank you. Well, <laughs> I, I think... I think the master's position in Doctor is very, very interesting because the master is a villain, he's bad, he has to be fought. But he's also close to the Doctor. They're almost like brothers. That's a sort of subtext. They're very close. That goes right back to when the master first appeared in the early 70s in the John Bertram years. And it comes up again, even though the master more than once causes the death of the Doctor, or the regeneration of the Doctor. Um, and <coughs> actually, if the doctor's Jewish, then the master must be. Um, but I suppose the thing it makes me think of is his brothers like, well, Jacob and Esau. Um, the brothers who don't get on, but do get on, but don't get on, but fight each other, but become reconciled. The doctor and the master more than once do work together for a common cause. Usually because the master realises he's bitten off more than he can chew and that he needs the doctor's help. Um, but then, then they fight again. And this was brought out absolutely brilliantly by John Sims, whose portrayal of the master was just absolutely stunning. Yeah, so I, I think yes is my answer, yes and no. I suppose in the way that um, the Esau is Jewish, because he's the son of Isaac, but he's not Jewish. Ishmael is the son of Abraham, but he's not Jewish, but he's sort of Jewish, he's part of our tradition. Um, the sort of Naughty brother. Mm, like, 
question at back. Assuming the doctor is Jewish, then every time he regenerates, would he need to be circumcised? <laughs> <laughs> The Gemara says that when Adam was born, he was born pre-circumcised. That uh, in Midrash, that he was created. That when Adam was generated, generated out of the ground for the first time, he came out complete and kosher without already pre-handled. So I imagine that would be the case for any male doctors. Maybe just slightly more Jewish. Uh, what does the TARDIS parallel in Judaism? Scarnedin. Oh. Eliyahu Anavi, who's also another doctor, right, can appear at any point in Jewish history because he lives in Ganeden. Eden, Adna, in the book of Daniel, means garden of time. Ganeden is a garden of time. It touches all time spaces at the same time. That's why Eliyahu Anavi lives there. It's a parallel world. It's not a place on earth you can find. And therefore the TARDIS is like that. And it's quite large, even though it's difficult to get to. I have a, I have a different answer, though I think I love that answer as within the world of Doctor Who. But from stepping back, I actually think the TARDIS is like Torah. Because it looks like a small box but it's vast inside. And you can keep going into it. And it's good. You can turn it and turn it. Oh, good. I'm still a bit bothered about Dr. Ho because um, we don't see him eating and that's not very Jewish. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, no, Matt Smith. That's Matt Smith's comeback. Matt Smith's comeback is... The second part of my question is, is that if he does eat off-screen... I'm concerned about the, the kosherness of these two and not alone. <laughs> so, very early on, in the third serial, um, it's established that there are food machines on the TARDIS. Oh. We see food machines and we see sleeping arrangements. Um, and um, the fact that the whole episode was made inside the TARDIS set because they'd run out of money is purely coincidental. <laughs> but um, it's established that they, they do eat. It's just not very interesting. Um, but there are other times where, where food appears. Um, interestingly, one of the, the, the places where food appears is when the Doctor meets himself. And the five Doctors, the first thing that the William Hartnell character, played by Richard Arnold, does when he comes in is ask for a cup of tea, and, and food is provided. So when the Doctor meets himself, there's, there's food involved. Um, so yes, they do eat. As for cash growth, um, I don't know if the dinner's on fish fingers and custard. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, I think that brings us. It's a very enthusiastic question there. Yeah. yeah. Fine. Let's take just the last two questions. Then. Which ones have been Which monster? <laughs> so someone said it are Daleks are Malek. Someone said, but that that was a word. Dalek is basically when you go to Israel. And you want to fill up your car. <laughs> it's called Delek. Delek is oil. And oil is the founding of that engine and industrialization, which is what the Daleks are standing for. So I, I find that quite interesting. The industrialization of the Daleks is quite a, quite a good enemy. I, you know, and Jews aren't there to levitation either. <laughs> yeah, I think the most Jewish, uh, the most Jewish of the. Uh, 
documents. This is the uh, is the library. Is it the Library of Silence? Yeah. And I went all the inhabitants of the library have spent too much time studying their books, and the books have become alive, and they've consumed. And it, it seems to me that there's no greater Jewish death than being consumed by your own by your own books, your own fiction. <laughs> What is the Torah's stance on extraterrestrials? Um, I want you to buy a book by O.A. Kaplan, Anthology, where he's got a whole chapter on that, the best essay on the subject. Norman Lamb in, what's that book called? Faith and Doubt, also it's not as good, it's much longer, has an essay on extraterrestrials as well. If you email me from the website, I'll send you the article, you can read it. Right? But Rabbi Steindorf once said that the search for extraterrestrial life, you know they used to have these, they weren't out of money, so they stopped, they were scanning the skies looking for extraterrestrial life, trying to find life on other planets, right? He says the search for life on other planets, emotionally, is the same as the search for God. Because if we met an alien, what would we ask? Where do you come from? And does that help me work out where I came from? We want to be aliens because it helps us understand who we are. And that's the same as the search for God. So he says it's the same design as you understood. So just a quick summation from our esteemed panel of experts and, uh, to conclude, how Jewish is Dr. Who? Four bagels out of five. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, um, Are You My Mummy, that episode, or the second half of that episode, is a very emotional moment, right? Because he gets to say people that way. And the ultimate emotion of the doctor, I think, is expressed. He says, this time, Rose, everyone lives. And he gets to say people. What David said earlier was so true. Real death happens. Things you can't fix. And Doctor is not afraid of accepting that. But occasionally... Occasionally, we can save people. We can make a difference. And the emotion that he expresses when he says, this time everyone lives Rose, was for me one of the most Jewish moments in Doctor Who. I can't top that. I'm going to stick with four bagels out of five. <laughs> Thank you, everybody, for coming to attend this You're listening to The World According to Gorf on jmintheam.org.
Rebecca Fishman singing her version of Rifa'enu, Heal Us, performed live in Manhattan at Girls' Night On. A beautiful song and an apropos choice, given the hope of the new year, the sentiment of the fast day, and something of a pun for this episode's theme of The Doctor. As I said earlier, humor is difficult on an empty stomach. This wraps another episode of The World According to Gorf. As always, for your weekly dose of Jewish humor, please go to jewishcartoon.com. And for the best in engaging and energetic entertainment for your simcha, please find me at pellaproductions.com. Until my next episode, please enjoy my stunt show colleagues and all the rest of the great Jewish programming featured 24-6 on nachumsegel.com. And this is Gorf saying... Shalom.